Hello, everyone, and welcome to Chaplin Talks. I'm your host, Spencer Chaplin. I want to thank every single person who has listened and downloaded the podcast so far. You can check out all episodes of Chaplin Talks on YouTube, where you can watch the interviews, you can watch special clips, exclusive clips. So please head over there, comment, subscribe, like, all that stuff. Today, we have a very special episode for you, because my dad is going to answer all questions that you guys sent in. So, uh, you're going to learn about everything from growing up in the Chaplin household to uh, my dad's work with David Bowie. So, everyone, please welcome my dad, Eugene Chaplin. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Chaplin Talks. Uh, so, today, we have a very special guest, which is my dad. Say hello, dad. Hi, son. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for coming on. No problem. So... I have a list of questions for you. Wow. I didn't know if people were that curious. <laughs> <laughs> or, uh, I'm sure you've heard some of these, but let's, uh, let's do it. Okay. So what should we go for first? Okay. Someone called Sarah Garland wants to know, was Charlie Chaplin a strict dad? Um, yes, he was. Well, he was, he was strict in the way of, he, he let us do whatever we wanted. Uh, you know, he didn't say, I want you to be a doctor or a teacher. But he, he was more strict on our education. He wanted us to do really well at school and very strict on our manners. Yeah, I know. You always told me that. Well, the thing is, if you have good manners, uh, people like you more, you know. <laughs> Always helps. <laughs> okay. Donna Ambrosi is asking, as a child with your father, what would you say impressed you about his movies? Um, well, the universality of it. Um, the Little Tramp, everyone knows, everyone loves. And, uh, you know, I, I, like I love to say is, uh, little, everyone has a Little Tramp in their heart. So... Everyone recognizes them, themselves in him. Do you remember the first time that you realized that you're growing up with a famous dad? You know, you obviously you realize it gently because you, you go to school and your friends kind of say, hey, Charlie Chaplin's son and stuff. So obviously you kind of realize it. But um, not the weight of it, but you, the realization of it really happens now that I'm, I'm here, uh, I don't know, 130 years after his death, uh, speaking about him. Mm. It's quite after, extraordinary. After he's born, you mean? <laughs> uh, sorry, yes, <laughs> exactly. In case you don't know, my dad uh, worked on, he was a sound engineer in a studio in Switzerland, and he worked with some uh, pretty big names. So someone is asking, is, how did Yuji come to work with David Bowie? And what albums was he involved in? Well, um, it's pure luck because basically uh, I'm from theater, I'm a stage manager, and I worked in the Geneva Opera House, left there and went. I was going to say you went to, uh, you went to Rada in London, right? Yeah, right, that's right, to be a stage manager. Yeah. Then ended up at the Geneva Opera House doing opera and ballet. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I left there and went to the casino in Montreux, which was burned down. You know, you, 
you hear about that in Smoke on the Water from Deep Purple. Yeah. And uh, was rebuilt. And inside that, uh, in there, there was supposed to be a lot of entertainment and stuff. So I, I applied to go there, but there wasn't that much entertainment happening. And in the same time, a studio was being built with all the latest technology at the time. And uh, so I applied to, to get in theirs. And because I had some kind of basic knowledge of sound, they, they, they let me in. And uh, I started off by de- being a T-boy and then uh, an assistant engineer and eventually an engineer there. And uh, because it was the latest studios, uh, which were opened, um, everyone wanted to go there. So the very first clients we had was the Stones, the Black and Blue album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was Emerson, Lake and Palmer, uh, Emerson, Lake and Palmer, there was Yes, many others. And one day we got a, a booking from David Bowie. And funny enough, David Bowie is the first uh, artist I ever joined a fan club when I was doing my stage management. In, oh, really? <laughs> and, uh, you know, you, you'd buy an LP and it would say, join the fan club, which I, which I did. It's the only person I ever did that with. And funny enough, so many years later, I was going to meet him in the studio. But, you know, it was funny because he knocked on the door and I opened the studio door and he said, can I come in? And I said no to him because I didn't recognize him. I said, no, please stay out. You know, he, had, he was badly shaved and all that. And I had the image of, you know, Ziggy Stardust trying to come in and stuff. So yeah. I, I really recognized him. He said, but I booked the place. I said, look, I'm sorry, but it's David Bo, you know, we, we already have a client coming here. And they say, but it's me. I said, sorry. <laughs> so we started off like that. Yeah. And then you, uh, you guys kind of became friends, no? We became friends uh, because he started to live in Switzerland and not too far from the house. And uh, I think it was a, a time of his life. He, he just divorced, and um, he, you know, he he was a bit lonely in Switzerland. I, I'm guessing, you know. And uh, the fact I invited him over, he met my mother and stuff. So we went on holidays all together and stuff like that. That's really cool. And um, didn't, uh, what about the story of Under Pressure? Can you? uh... (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's uh, many years later when I had a birthday party and uh, Queen allowed me to take off from the studio for this birthday party I was going to do on the terrace of the house. And uh, I invited uh, David over as well. I think Queen and David knew each other from previous, uh, from previous years, but just hadn't seen each other for a long time. So uh, eventually Queen came up, Freddie came up, David came up and uh, you know, the, the normal food and cake and drink. And then uh, Freddie told David, come to the studio. I want, you, I want you to make you listen to some of our new songs. 
And they went down there and obviously they started fooling around. And uh, that evening, Under Pressure was born. I can imagine them all going to the studio after the party quite drunk. <laughs> well, it's the kind of thing which always happened, you know, between artists and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll t- actually, I didn't tell you this because I wanted to save it for here, but I was uh, on Friday, I was recording an interview down in London and I borrowed a camera off a friend of mine and um, he has a big vinyl connection. So uh, I was like, have you got the Heroes album? And he is like, actually, I do. So he pulled out the Heroes album and I looked on the back. And when you look on the back, it says uh, engineered by or assistant engineered by David Richards and Eugene Chaplin. With Tony Visconti as the producer. Yeah. So I took, I took a photo of the back of it. So I'll, I'll put it on. Oh, here. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking for those vinyls. It's just to be able to show my kids and to say, look, I'm, I'm not lying to you, you know, because they're all kind of looking at me saying, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, funny. Okay, so here's a question uh, from Jason Allen. Eugene, would you like to see a television series about your father's life and legacy on the streaming services like Netflix? If so, what would you like to see in the series? What aspect of Charles's life? And, bonus question, uh, who would play young Eugene in the TV series? Look, uh, I'd love to play myself. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and they can Photoshop and make me look younger. Look, I think a a mini-series would be great because um, Chaplin's life is over 88 years, so there's enough content. There's definitely enough to talk about, for sure. I mean... And I think the 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 Victorian days, uh, when he was a kid, is fascinating. The workhouse and all that, all that should be developed. I think the early Hollywood stuff must be fascinating as well. And as well, seeing him shoot to fame, and he didn't even realize it, was kind of surprised. I think when he went back to London, that he, suddenly there was all these crowds there. He didn't realize that his fame uh, got there before he knew about it. And uh, no, just, uh, yeah, it would be, I think, it, you know, it's a, it's a fascinating, uh, the making, the the start of Hollywood and all that and uh, is all a fascinating time. The 20th century is a fascinating time. So Una's, your mom, my grandmother's family, she's uh, the daughter of Eugene O'Neill. And some of the, the cousins, I guess you'd call it, there are cousins, uh, have reached out. So Sean O'Neill has reached out and he says, uh, did Una ever tell you stories about her family in the US? And do you have any favorite guests that came to visit the manoir? Yes, she, she mentioned her father a lot. Uh, she gave me books and, uh, and all. She, you know, she, she really missed her dad a lot. And she loved her, her dad very much. And I think she loved her dad that much. That's why they called me Eugene. Mm. But... Um, Specific stories, maybe she did, but I don't remember. <laughs> you know, it, it's such a long time ago. I don't specifically uh, remember. But um, 
she always talked about the family in the States. She always talked about uh, Bermuda. Um, funnily enough, I went down to Connecticut, to New England, and uh, I did a tourist promo video uh, to promote, uh, you know, the uh, Eugene O'Neill's house there and the Eugene O'Neill uh, theater. But um, yeah, well, of course, now I'm much more aware of, uh, of it, especially with uh, Facebook and all that. I'm in contact with some of them. Going back to Sean's uh, second part of the question, by the way, is do you have any uh, favorite guests that came to visit your, your dad? Oh, of course, yeah. The one I, I remember the most and I thought was, when I think about it, is quite funny, is when uh, Truman Capote uh, came over. There was Noel Cower, there was my father, there was Truman Capote. And Truman, Truman Capote was more a friend of my mum's. He came over and he was over-enthusiastic because he was writing a book about the death penalty. And to wind up my father, he was saying to my father, you know, it's fantastic. I went to a few executions in America and uh, they, they have uh, the gas chamber. And, you know, it's a marvelous gas because they just release one uh, drop of it and the people are out in no time at all and don't suffer. He says, it's absolutely great. And my father was there kind of like, <laughs> trying not to fall into the provocation, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's rude. That's hilarious. Because I, I know that Truman uh, Capote was, um, he was quite eccentric, wasn't he? Like he, he was definitely a character. Oh, I remember he, he arrived with red trousers and red suit on kind of very extravagant man ben watling he's a friend of mine <laughs> <laughs> oh dear <laughs> he's a friend of mine he says have you have you got any embarrassing stories about your son spencer <laughs> <laughs> oh many <laughs> many but uh, i can't tell them here <laughs> good it. <laughs> we edit it out anyway. <laughs> uh, uh, D. Breathlack uh, says, "I wonder what Charlie and Einstein talk, talked about." <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Um, well, there's the famous story about uh, Einstein uh, being invited uh, being invited by my father to see City Lights in Berlin. Yeah, which there are the photos 30th. of. Yeah, and uh, they were both in the car and driving up to the cinema, Einstein said to my dad, you know what is extraordinary? I, I'm quoting it by memory, and, but it's something like, it's quite extraordinary because you, um, you don't speak, but everyone understands you. And he says, it's, and my father answered back to him, well, it's just as extraordinary than you because you speak and no one understands you. <laughs> that's funny yeah and, and uh here's one from tom moran who says uh this is a bit of a i think of a full-on chaplin fan question which is says will you do for shoulder arms what you've done for the gold rush allow the original silent version to exist in tandem with chaplin's revised version because there are two versions of the gold rush right 
Exactly. Well, the, you know, the, the, the family, because it's a family decision, but I think the, the family uh, is following my dad's wish of having his last version now. If not, he wouldn't have redone it. Mm-hmm. So it's the, it's the shoulder arms, though. Is it uh, the version he's... I have no idea. It's the version he's talking about. The well, later it, was version. Part of the Chaplin, it was part of the Chaplin review. Because okay. when, uh, when shoulder arms came out, it came out all by its, on its own. And then it was included in the Chaplin review. Okay. And he composed music later for it and, and all that. And uh, a lot of people ask for the, the original one, Silence, because they, they would love to put their own music on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're saying, but, but, but what we're saying is my dad composed the music, so that's the music that should go with it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. It's a matter of opinion, you know, but <laughs> it's difficult to please everyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, so I've been reading up, obviously, uh, about Una and stuff, but it seems to me that she seemed to be like the real backbone of everything. You know, I talk about my dad's life in, in three chapters. The first one is uh, his childhood, which is all about surviving, more or less. I'm, I'm generalizing. Then you have America, which is success, making money, um, and he's, uh, he was very ambitious, and he knew exactly what he wanted, and take and took no shit from anyone. Yeah. <laughs> you know, basically. But um, that's the second mind. The third part is, of course, is he meets my mum, and it's the exile to, well, the exile, I hate that name. It's, he moves to Switzerland. And um, with Switzerland, my mum, I guess the family as well, he started to really enjoy life. Now he did. He's, the circle is uh, is done. Um, from the man who was so focused and knew exactly what he wanted, and all when he met my mother, suddenly he could not do anything without her. He loved her so much. He wanted her next to him all the time. So when he wrote his autobiography, she helped him out. When he would write music for his silent film, she would help him out. And he should give give him advice or tell him, you know, this is, this is good or not good. Uh, and everything he did. And even going to the, to the Oscars, uh, he didn't want to go there because he was still very bitter how, by how he was treated. But my mother convinced him, but she went with him. And well, if you see the, the, the video of it, she even turns up on stage with him because five minutes before he wasn't going to go. And uh, she said, look, walk on and I'll come behind you. <laughs> so, uh, no, for that, that was really, really nice. Mm. You know, me personally, I lived like in, I lived in a bubble because I'm born in Switzerland and I saw this, that my mother and father love each other uh, very much. So uh, I was brought up with that and uh, I really thought uh, being in a relationship was that. Yeah. So when I had my first girlfriend 
and we had uh, our first fight. Now I, I was totally traumatized by that. I've seen that only happens in movies. You know, that, that doesn't happen in real life. And boy, by experience afterwards, I realized that was the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And do you remember going on any, um, like seeing your dad work on film sets or anything? Um, the only time I saw him work was in The Countess of Hong Kong. Uh, I was in boarding school and on my holidays, I was allowed to go to, to London, to Pinewood Studios where he filmed that. And um, yeah, maybe I wasn't that interested to know how he worked because Oh, my dad is working. I'll let him do what he has to do. But uh, I remember being there and uh, seeing the set of the James Bond film, uh, You Only Live Twice, uh, the big volcano and stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. That was in the set right, right next to the, the, the counters. It was quite funny. <laughs> and uh, no, and I, I remember Marlon Brando, who obviously uh, had his own character but uh, it was really sweet with me and great yeah funny. And of course Sophia Loren she, she, she was absolutely great too yeah and um it's funny that the only <laughs> the main thing you remember is going to the set next door <laughs> yeah because your your dad is always your dad and uh it, it was fun seeing the countess being done uh and seeing the some of the trick filming they did and stuff with false perspectives of corridors and stuff like that and of course and and the boat outside on the artificial lake and, and all that was you know was was good mm. but james bond was james bond <laughs> <laughs> and uh i'm sure everyone wants to know is like do you have a a favorite film a favorite chaplin film well, truthfully, no, because I, I really, really love each one of them. Mm -hmm. And it all depends on what kind of mood I, I, I'm in. Have you seen of course, all of them? It, Yes, yes. Yeah. And I, I must say, um, I think what, what is interesting is when you look at the first ones, you see the first chaplains, it's more like uh, clowning and it's more like slapstick comedy. And gently feelings come into it and then he becomes more and more social and then you get to the you know to the great dictator where he starts speaking and so on so it's all it's all very interesting of course maybe the the best one the most perfect one or for me the two most perfect ones are one is city lights because uh, you know well, how can you not how can you not cry at the end of it and it's, it's his masterpiece, isn't it, really? It's a masterpiece. And, of course, Limelight, mm. which uh, is so beautiful. But as well, uh, I love The Cure. I love, uh, I love Ch the, the Fireman. I love Payday. All those short, short ones are absolutely fantastic. It's mm. really so funny. There was, there were, they, they had a kind of madness about them. My favorite scene of, of Limelight is the Buster Keaton at the end yeah. playing the, the piano. <laughs> yeah, no, of course. 
and and it's true at that time they 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 had special performances in remembering such artists who were forgotten so they they would make a few bucks to, to survive you know and apparently buster keaton already then but was in uh, different kinds of troubles and financial troubles and stuff like that and uh, my mum always said to me oh yeah the, charlie did that you know took him because of that to, to help him out or only to help him out even though he, of course he, he was a great artist if people haven't gone to visit uh, chaplain's world which is the house where my dad grew up i spent some time there as well uh how does it feel for the house to be turned into a museum? Well, there is a, always a demand for it. And, uh, well, I think once the family agreed, why not? It's nice, you know. It's strange. I'm not saying it's not strange, but it's strange seeing people coming in. You feel like, hey, get out. You know, it's private property. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, it's nice. And uh, what I feel is very touching about it is uh, I haven't seen one criticism about it. Everyone loves it. Yeah. No, they've done a really, really, really good job, I think. Definitely. Okay, cool. Well, that's it. There you go. Thank you for all your questions. There you go. See, it was easy. I, I ignored the hard ones. <laughs> <laughs> well, you just didn't want me to tell the embarrassing ones of you. <laughs> That was a deal. <laughs> <laughs> no, thanks a lot, Dad. Okay, take care. You too. See you soon. See you, bye.